Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week I am joined by three colleagues, three, count them three, of such lethal cunning. We have geek queen Helen O'Hara, who I have to say, guys, is so geeky that she is literally doing a Captain America jigsaw puzzle <laughs> whilst podcasting. This is true, we will talk about that later on. Uh, hello Helen. Hello. How are you? I am b- cursing your name for giving me the very kind and thoughtful gift of this fucking puzzle. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you, apparently you can't do this all day I, I, I'll be doing it all week <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> into next week uh, etc we're also joined by nerd emperor James Dyer how are you sir I'm good thank you Chris Sally I do not have a jigsaw to hand but I'll see what I can come up with <laughs> okay. maybe like a sudoku or something alright okay and uh, some Count Dooku sudoku we did that in the magazine once I know, that's why I mention it. I still don't understand why you didn't call it Count Sudoku instead of Count Dooku Sudoku. It was the least popular replacement for the crossword in the history. <laughs> I think it was actually the least popular feature in the history of Empire Magazine in that we had many, many, many letters of complaint. Uh, and we brought the crossword back very, very quickly and it forced me to ditch the thing I had lined up for the next month, which was Eric Banner's Banagrams. <laughs> Eric, Eric ban- Bananagrams. Yeah, Eric Banagrams. But anyway... Did you did you at any point ever do? I know you were going to do the uh, the Jar Rules of Attraction and the Jude Laws of Attraction. No, you managed to get no, both of those no, in. No, no, we never, we never did that. Oh, we did we did do Jason Statham, which was Jason Statham brings out a range of meat with facts printed on it. Wow, <laughs> but, I had a real, a real glimpse into and, Empire's creative process there. And we did uh, do, we did do, judge not, lest ye be judged by Judge Reinhold. Yes, we did, and of course, <laughs> we did listen to your friend Billy Zane, in which the actual Billy Zane—I'm not kidding—the real Billy Zane for about two years in the magazine had his own agony uncle column, in which he f- responded to people's problems, and he fully committed to it. He really. <laughs> really committed to it every month i would send questions to billy saying uh and every month he would he would write back really considered thoughtful elegant witty responses to these people sometimes literally helping them out if someone was having a a problem with their lives or sometimes he'd be admonishing people for for being a bit frivolous but uh such a such a joy such a joy that we did that it is also a joy this week to have in the revolving fourth chair, which has revolved a full 360 degrees from last week. <laughs> it is the return of, I'm going to call you, you're the best dressed man in film journalism. We know that. But we have a, a, a queen. We have an emperor. I don't know. The king of light entertainment. Amon Warman. <laughs> what do you think? It. I'll take it. That works. <laughs> <laughs> What am I? What am I in that case? I am just a bell just a jester. I'm just a jester. Ooh, look at me waving my little shiny stick around. But yes, I'm delighted to have you all this week. And we have, we've started, yes, and we've had some japes, but um, we didn't start with the bombastic intro this week and we haven't really started full throttle because we are going to start. There's only one place we can start. I'm going to rejig the running order of the show this week. Usually we start with a film fact and we have a listener's question. Then we go into movie news. But this week we're going to start with movie news because there is only one place to start and that is with the tragic death of Chadwick Boseman who passed away shockingly, suddenly from colon cancer at the age of 43 last week, passed away on Friday. Uh, And this has been a seismic shock. This has been an absolutely horrible death to try and process. And almost one week on, I'm on, are we any closer to processing this, this incredible loss? I'm not really any closer uh, to processing it myself. It was just, it really 
crushed me. Um, and I think, you know, obviously it's a humongous loss to cinema, but for black people, especially for the black culture, it's really devastating. Um, especially in the year, which has already been devastating. We talk about the loss of black icons, talk about loss of Kobe Bryant. We talk about the loss of John Lewis. Now, when you talk about mm -hmm. the loss of Chadwick Boseman, who obviously uh, embodied the character of T'Challa, that's going to be his major legacy. But you think about all the roles he played before that, um, James Brown, Jackie Robinson, Thurgood Marshall, these are black icons who yeah. he played so well um, and, found he, and found the humanity in all of those characters so well. Um, it's really, really, really tough to take. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to try my best not to break down because for the past week or so, if I think about it for more than five minutes, I sort of start crying. But yeah, I mean, I keep coming back to the speech he made. There's, there's been a lot of obviously tributes and uh, Chadwick clips making the rounds on social media. Um, and I keep coming back to the speech he made at Howard University. Um, where he said, and I wrote this down, I didn't want to get it wrong, but he said, you would rather find purpose than a job or a career. Purpose crosses disciplines. Purpose is the essential element of you. It is the reason you are on the planet at this particular time in history. Your very existence is wrapped up in the things you are here to fulfill. And that was in 2018. So that was two years into his diagnosis. He'd been battling colon cancer for four years. And I think one of the reasons he did what he did in regards to his illness is because he knew what his purpose was. He knew what Black Panther would mean. Heroic representation for Black people on that scale, he knew what that would mean. And he was right in that, obviously. And the pride, you know, I've spoken before watching Black Panther, which is something which I'm not going to be able to do for a long while. I've spoken before about the pride that comes for me when watching that film. And it goes beyond that film with Chadwick because so much of himself was in all of those characters, but especially in T'Challa. And at least, especially when it comes to sort of being a natural regal leader, um, because he had mm -hmm. that. I mean, and I'm not just, you know, talking about sort of black kids who, again, I, there's a special sort of kind of hurt in that they finally found a black superhero who reflects them and now they have to mourn him. And all every time I see sort of their, their, their photos online of kids sort of having funerals for Black Panther, that just oh, breaks God. me. Mm. Um, but it's not just black kids, it's black adults. It's the cast themselves looking up to Chadwick. If you look at how he carried himself on that press tour, it mm. was really, really, really special. I think what's, what's really awful in this case is uh, often we have actors who have played iconic roles and made a huge impact in the in the profession in the industry and we also have actors who it feels like they're just getting started off and have barely scratched the surface of their potential and, and the kind mm. of career they're going to have and he was both and that's a really rare thing and that's why I think the loss has hit everyone as hard as it has. He both felt like he'd accomplished an incredible amount and that he'd hardly gotten going. I mean he hasn't he's made a what a dozen films or something like that. Like he did mm. hardly anything because he sort of almost started with 42 with his his portrayal of Jackie Robinson. He went sort of straight in as a leading man and 
was very careful about the projects that he picked and the stories that he told and the the image that he portrayed, rightly so. And and it means that he hasn't left this huge body of work, but what he left is so influential and so loved and so good. So yeah, I think it's that combination of things. Obviously, those of us who didn't know him personally, we've heard that he's he's a great person and, and I believe it, but it's the it's the you know, the if we only knew him professionally, we we know that we've lost something that had almost unlimited potential going forward because his career just seemed set for only greater and greater things. And he's already, by any measure, at the top of his game. Mm. It feels almost reductive, doesn't it? The fact that so much of you know the conversation around his death is about one role in his career, but it means so much to so many people, that role, is that he kind of transcends the genre and it transcends, you know, mm -hmm. the nuts and bolts of what that film is. And, you know, it is a film that is thematically all about legacy and what you do with your influence and what you give back to the world. And, you know, it's so poignant that that's the story of the film, but that's also what this film was for so many people, for so many sort of, as Amon said, so many black kids to see themselves represented on screen in a heroic mold. Uh, and just the, the story and how much that film, more than any of the other MCU films, kind of spoke to our world and the sort of issues that we deal with, I think, on a daily basis. It's an incredibly resonant film. And he was everything you wanted that character to be. Like he was aspirational. He was he embodied those kind of regal king-like qualities. And I think that's how everyone will always remember Chadwick Boseman, you know, as T'Challa, as this just incredible inspirational, just really just amazing sort of leader type character. You know, and he played that on screen and to an extent, to a generation of people, he will be that off screen as well. So it's an incalculable loss. I mean, it's it's awful when anyone dies at that age, you know, so young and so out of the blue as well. But in this case, it does feel that, you know, from a cinematic point of view, from a representation mm. point of view, that something very valuable has been taken from people. And that in itself is, is a tragedy of its own. And to do all of that while oh, battling yeah. cancer is just, I mean, yeah, we did, we did, we did the Heroes podcast um, well, they got a, a few, few weeks ago now. And mm. I remember Chris at one point, you asked me sort of, how do you define heroism? Um, that mm. takes it to a whole nother degree. Um, it's and, extraordinary. And yeah. yeah, I mean, when we say that he was a real life superhero, that, you know, sounds like a line, but it's actually not, it's, it's a fact. I can't get my head around that. My wife woke me up at 6.30 AM on Saturday with the news. And immediately my first thought was, oh God, has there been a terrible accident? Has something, mm. has something happened? And then when you realize it's cancer, which I'm sure we've all experienced in our families to some degree. I took my dad, for example. Um, it's a horrible, infidious, dreadful, dreadful disease. And I've seen firsthand what it can do to people. And to have the courage and the fortitude and the physicality to battle this thing in private, to have treatment, to have our presumed chemo, to have surgeries, and somehow still make these physical movies, these movies that required a great deal of energy and a great deal of physical commitment, uh, and not just the not just the the uh, the Marvel movies, not just Black Panther and the, the the Avengers movies and Civil War, but things like Twenty One Bridges, you know, mm -hmm. is mind blowing. It absolutely boggles the mind, and the full story of what Chadwick battled and went through over the last four years may never be known. But I read this week in The Hollywood Reporter, there was a story yesterday that 
he was convinced up until maybe two weeks ago that he was going to see it off, that he was going to beat it. And he was going to start preparations soon for Black Panther 2. And it's an extraordinary testament, I think, to his courage that mm-hmm. he managed to defy the odds up until that point. I think it goes back to Amon's point about purpose. I think if you feel that sense of purpose and that sense of, of calling, maybe that gives you the strength you need to to, yeah. to do something so extraordinary. Yeah. But you're right, it's it's mind-bogglingly tough to, to have done that. And when you see footage, I mean, I'm sure we all saw footage. I mean, I was, I was, I think, on Twitter for most of Saturday morning looking at people's tributes and looking at footage of him and things that he had done in the past and, you know, his wonderful appearance on SNL uh, where he did Black Jeopardy as T'Challa, which is really, really funny. <laughs> it's amazing. And, yeah, I don't think, you know, there was, a, there, there was a funny side to him that I don't think was necessarily always captured mm. in the Marvel movies because of the decision to have T'Challa be quite regal and reserved. But there was a, a funny side to him. But one of the pieces of footage that went around that I'm sure we all saw um, broke all our hearts was the the time that he was promoting Black Panther and he was talking about being in touch with kids with terminal mm. with terminal cancer and and at that time he knew he had cancer. It's such a such a tragedy, it's such a waste, such a devastating waste. But we should also celebrate the greatness of the man and mm. the greatness of the actor. And you know, I think one of the things that links us all is a love of the MCU. And we all love what he did from Civil War on the, all the way through to Endgame. I think there's a reason why, you know, T'Challa was chosen to be the first person out of the portals. Mm-hmm. It was a reflection of his impact, yes, but it was also a reflection of his importance to the MCU going forward. He was in the absence of, spoiler alert, by the way, for uh, Avengers Endgame here, folks. <laughs> he was in the absence of Tony Stark and and um, your other fella, you know, the one with the shield, that bloke. What's his name? I forgot, Jen, you forgot his name. Steve Rogers. <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> in their absence, you know, T'Challa was, I think, going to be one of the figureheads, if not the figurehead of, of the new MCU going forward, along mm. with, you know, Carol Danvers and Stephen Strange and Peter Parker. Uh, but I think that's that was where he was going to be. He was going to assume his place as the rightful king of the MCU. I think you're right. I think, you know, I right, the last thing I'm gonna do is is appropriate Black Panther, God knows, but but he was such a great character for everyone and he was such a positive character to see. Um as a woman, he was a great character for looking to uh, to women for counsel like he's a strong in alpha male who absolutely doesn't hesitate to take a woman's advice if he needs it to look to a woman for advice to um you know accept chastisement if he's fucked up and he realizes that because a woman tells him like he doesn't have that kind of ego he doesn't have that kind of toxicity about him that's incredibly important to see on screen as well um and 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 all of these kind of qualities coming together, a leader who is slow to act sometimes and doesn't rush into battle for the sake of it like a Thor, who I think has the same sort of moral compass as a Cap, but has the authority to go with it, which, you know, Cap's always been sort of the scrappy, you know, guy often disobeying orders, actually, if you go back and watch those films. You know, T'Challa gives the orders and has the responsibility and the weight of that on his sh- on his shoulders as well as his own actions. And he's just such 
it's so good to see that. It's so good to see a positive portrayal of that. Um, and I know it has particular weight for for black people, and I don't I don't mean in any way to sort of appropriate him as a character, but just I, I, he's such a great character, and he and he was brought so brilliantly to life by Chadwick in that respect that he I think resonated far beyond um, everywhere. I mean, I think he just resonated around the world, which is kind of mind blowing. I think more so than maybe any superhero movie ever. Black mm. Panther is a hero by committee. You think about the final act yeah. of that movie. Mm. Um, you know, not only is Shuri doing something, Nakia doing something, Okoye is doing something, you even mm. got the talking white guy, Martin Freeman's doing something. Um, <laughs> that just speaks to the character um, mm. and how much he respects the people around him, especially as Helen, you say woman. Um, but yeah, every, ever since, you know, I, I remember <laughs> watching the announcement of Chadwick um, as Black Panther. Uh, mm. I remember yeah. watching that in my room and just losing my mind because not only finally we were, were we getting Black Panther, which, is, which I had wanted for a while, but Chadwick, I just knew was the perfect person to play him. And you could tell that from the moment he gets introduced in Captain mm. America Civil War. There's just a presence yeah. that he naturally radiates. It's so rare to find, but it's so crucial for that character and it's perfect. And he's, you know, he's only in that movie for about 20, 25 minutes, but he steals it. He was easily my favorite so part. Good, isn't it? My favorite part of that movie. Um, and you know, we've spoken before about the cultural moment that was the build up to Black Panther, um, which was just something which was so special to watch unfold day after day after day. Um, mm. And yeah, you just, so much of that is because of that portrayal. Um, mm. And, you know, again, I'm, we're not gonna speculate about the future of that character, yeah. but it's, it's gonna be very, very hard to now consider an MCU without that character and that actor playing him in it. I never had the pleasure uh, of of meeting him or interviewing him. Do you guys ever cross I, paths? I did. My one and only interaction with him um, was a pint of milk interview for Empire, uh, October 2019. I still remember. Really? <laughs> I still remember getting that email from John Nugent um, as if it was even a question. Hi, Amon, would you like to interview <laughs> Chandler Boseman? Uh, yes, please. Yes, me. You know, that's like, <laughs> I don't care what is happening with my schedule. I am dropping everything. <laughs> that's a yes. Um, and, you know, I, you know, this has been written about uh, by others before. Uh, he wasn't sort of a major fan of doing interviews. Um, but I think once he called on to the fact that Pint of Milk was a little bit more fun and you know a little less serious he started to enjoy it and i really sort of enjoyed talking with him i didn't sort of really read into many of his answers but i looked back on it recently um in the, in the wake of his his passing and mm -hmm. one of the questions i asked him was what would you call your autobiography his response was if they could only see the morning mm -hmm. um huh. I asked him why he said, I can't tell you that, uh, it only exists in my head uh, right now. But there's lots of stuff like that which just hits differently now. Um, this yeah. is why yeah. like, I can't, it's going to take a while to watch Black Panther. It's going to take a while, a long while to rewatch The Five Bloods. You think about his mm, role yeah. in that, you think about his final scene in that, and it's just like, you know, so both of those movies 
deal with that so much. Um, yeah. It's going to be very, very hard to see him on screen again. I have to ask him on, did you ask him how hairy his ass was? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> you absolute chicken. I have, to say, I have to say, fair play to you. I also chickened out of asking Robert De Niro the same question. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I would, I'm not sure I'd address that. I, I spoke to him on set of Civil War and it was one of those interviews where, you know, I did ask some, I, I knew he wasn't going to be able to tell me anything spoilerific, of course. And then we just kind of just got chatting about like his, he was working on plays, like he was a writer as well. He actually got into acting through a directing workshop. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know if any of that will ever emerge, if any of his writing was was complete and in a position he was happy with, but I hope some of it does because I'd be fascinated to see it. But yeah, even even when he sort of couldn't say anything about anything, he was he was still a delightful presence to, to talk to. Mm. But really nothing about anything, really nothing. <laughs> Good journalism there, Helen. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Breaking the big scoops. You've, I mean, you've been in the same situation. You know what it's like. It's true. If this week has taught us anything, is that he knew how to keep a secret. So This is very, very true indeed. But yes, what a tremendous actor. What a tremendous guy. Uh, and what a tremendous loss. The great mm -hmm. Chadwick Boseman who passed away this week. Let's stick now with movie news. What else has been happening in the world of movie news this week? Uh, should we just talk about the Bond trailer? <laughs> yeah, well, Helen is buzzing with, with excitement. So, so excited about it. I actually, I thought that was a really good trailer. It was, wasn't yeah. it? It's so good. Yeah. Who it are was. you and what have you done with Helen O'Hara? <laughs> 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 nah, it was an awesome trailer. You got Anna the Armas kicking ass. But yeah, some of the stunt work looks really, really cool. Um, and yeah. it looks like looks to be a really good balance of Oh, and merging of practical and CGI already. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this one on the big screen. We're, we're, we're due to sort of have a good Craig movie because he had Casino Royale, great. Mm -hmm. uh, Quantum mm -hmm. of Solace, not so great. Sp no, no, Skyfall, really great. Spectre, not so great. It's Star Trek rules. It's Star Trek rules. <laughs> Alternate films. Alternate films. But yeah, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, this is a really, really yeah, good show. But I'm 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 looking forward to this for two reasons. One, that the trailer was really good, but also that it was boldly like this is Bond comes up on the screen this November. Like it feels like they've committed to actually bringing out the film. And genuinely, I was very worried that we weren't going to see this this year because it feels like things were maybe going to flee the release schedules. That we might see, frankly, a last quarter of this year that has nothing really big coming out in cinemas and i think tenet doing pretty well at the box office That's all things considered say. has really increased studio confidence and they've been like do you know what let's do it let's release these films let's go for See, it that's interesting because um we'll, we'll continue to talk about bond in a second but tenet made 53 million dollars at the global box office last weekend uh, ordinarily people will be writing as box office obituary by now. Yeah. But yeah. now yeah. People, people are going, that's actually pretty good, all things considered. And it seems to have emboldened Universal to the point where they're going, yes, flag in the sand, Bond, November, it's happening. Nothing yeah. can derail this train. At the no, same time, Disney moved now. the Kingsman back from September yeah. to February. Yeah. Disney unconvinced. Yes. I wonder if that was a reaction to the early word on Tenet. But I guess people are now revising their expectations and what's what's normal is mm -hmm. not normal anymore. And 53 million, the real test for me will be seeing how Tenet does at the box office this weekend because there's no competition. And so will people feel a bit more emboldened to go to the cinema? Will they have to go back a third, fourth, fifth time to understand what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Probably. Is that going to be a major part of it as well? 
So if it does, if it holds or even increases on the 53 million, then I think studios will go, okay, we can make a billion but like Steve Martin and Three Amigos, gonna make it. Gonna make it. Gonna make it. Gonna make it. So I think that's that's gonna happen. But yeah, Kingsman moves back from September to February just after we put up the podcast. Of course mm-hmm. it did uh, last week. Um, so it's gonna be interesting to see how different studios react to this. We might be in a position where the very biggest films, the Tenets, the Bonds, maybe the Black Widows, mm. can get the people to the cinemas. Anything less than that is going to struggle, and that might be the the sort of the calculation that a Kingsman is is having to make. And I think in in that respect, you know, it it's probably more anticipated than New Mutants, but it's probably going to be looking at the New Mutants box office to have a look at what that does yeah. as a sort of mid level, attractive but not super super blockbuster kind of a. A movie uh, for comparison. So, I mean, it is probably the cautious and the wise thing to do. It's frustrating because we all just want to pretend life is normal again and get back to life. Um, but at the same time, you know, these are big, big sums of money and, and huge investments that I guess they have to to look out for and protect. Yeah. I mean, for, for example, in the States, there are some cinemas open. I still think LA and New York is closed at the moment. There aren't any cinemas open there. So Tenet is opening by the time you listen to this, Tenet will have opened in the States, but uh, on Box Office Mojo, it said limited release. Mm. So it's opening in a whole bunch of states, but until it opens in the biggest markets, it's not going to have a huge box office impact. And New Mutants made $7 million at the US box office last week. Bill and Ted Face and Music made $1 million. $1 million. And it's hard oh, to on. tell whether that's a success, a failure in between. Is it great, all things considered? I don't know. Up is down. Down is up. But the only thing mm. I do know is that Bond trader kicks ass. And I <laughs> like it. <laughs> with, with, yeah, with Bill and Ted, is that both the cinema and the VOD or is just cinema? Take Just cinema. That's a okay. good point. Mm. I'm make, you make a good point. Whereas over here, yeah. it's going to be cinema only Yeah. Uh, when it opens in a few weeks time. I only have one more thing to say about that Bond trailer. And that is Lashana Lynch is serving mm-hmm. looks and I am here for it. <laughs> There's one sort of shot of her where she's wearing these white shades and it's just, oh, her gorgeous black skin. And it's, oh, it's wonderful. I love it. Give me this movie now. She, is, she does look insanely cool in that trailer. Yes. Like, yeah. insane I'm pretty sure we see the moment in the film where she's introduced to Bond as 007. Because I'm convinced if she's not 007, they're doing it wrong. She's 007. She's taken over his code number during his retirement uh, and... I, I think this is how the, the franchise is going to proceed. The one thing that concerns me is the tagline, you know, this is the one that's going to change everything. I hope they don't kill Bond. I really hope they don't. I hope that, you know, what I think is going to happen is at the end of the movie, he will continue to be James Bond because that's his name. And Lashana Lynch will be 007. I think that's what's going to happen. That's what they're talking about in terms of a change in everything. I will stand up and applaud if I see that in the cinema, just so and you I'll know. And I'll go down in front for the love of God. <laughs> yes! Yes, I knew it! <laughs> As predicted on the Empire podcast, may I say? Yeah, but really yeah. exciting. It has a plane that turns into a submarine. It has it Rami does. Malek I mean, in sinister mode. It's he, Okay, great. just one, two, just two things. Two things. I feel like one death is telegraphed quite openly in this trailer. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. And I feel like um, huh? Rami Malek's plan... Please. Well, I mean, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but Leah Sidhu's, mm. like, she seems super dead to me. Just, Do you think? Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't think I think she I think she'll make it out. You don't think the presence of Ana de Armas is a bit of a you know, she's she's sorry uh, you're no. dead already? Yeah, they're, they're not gonna kill Leia, they do. Okay. At least not in the first she's not gonna get fridged. If that's what you're if that's what you're implying. I didn't say fridge. I never I would never say fridge because it's too normal for Bond, so like he would never have a fridge like the champagne yeah, color. He's or going, something. What is a fridge? <laughs> yeah. A wine fridge. Yeah, there'd be, be a wine fridge. Well I guess it could be in a wine fridge. But but probably they'd leave the body in the champagne cellar and he'd find her in ten minutes that way. The other thing uh, I f- <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the other thing I was slightly worried about on the basis of this trailer is there mm. are hints that Rami Malek may have my least favourite current villain uh-huh. motivation, um, and and uh, which uh, I, no, this is this is not a spoiler because I have no knowledge, uh, so this this cannot be a spoiler. But my current least favourite villain motivation is I'm trying to save the world from climate change by killing half the population. <laughs> the, the real Green New Deal. And I am I am I am concerned that that might be Rami Malek's. Uh, motivation here and in which no, case I think, it can I think this off. is perfect I think Bond is exactly the sort of person who would go no fuck you and your climate change and he'd, <laughs> yeah. he'd, he'd kick him off a bridge yeah, it's the like, Jeremy Clarkson of secret agents yeah, that's also not good like I, that's not good either I just oh. no Bond but Bond but absolutely he would parachute in in a gas guzzling humpy oh, kick God. Rami Malek off a bridge and then and then Burns a rainforest. That's what's going to happen. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> well, this there's movie. no need for anyone to see it now. <laughs> wow. Spoiled bonds. That, that, that No Time to Die spoiler special was super quick. We've <laughs> got three predictions of this movie. The Shannon Lynch is 007 and will remain 007 at the end of the film. He'll kick Rami Malik off a bridge and he'll burn down a rainforest to celebrate. That, oh, those God. are my predictions. <laughs> You heard it here first, people, and probably last. So, uh, the Emperor Podcast does not condone the burning down of rainforests, and um, if you or are going to burn people off bridges, as your Listen, lawyer, well, I'm ambivalent. In that. If you are going to burn down a rainforest, do consult a professional beforehand. Do not try this at home. Thanks. Chris. All right. What else has happened in the world of movie news? Mando is coming back in October. Yes, Ooh. we have a date. This is the day. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Amon's going to join in. Okay, as your lawyer, we don't have the money to pay for this. We don't have the PRS to cover this. Such a slow burn. I wish it got to the big bit earlier, but yes. So excited. So excited. Mando is back. Yes. Yes. This is the way. This is and, the one. And in the UK as well as the US, not Woo-hoo! just in the US, what most importantly. Been like the first time, Disney. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, bear in mind that not all countries have had season one yet. Isn't it Sweden? Are you I think still waiting? Yeah, not everyone's wow. had season one oh yet. Oh my God. And people talk about the quality of life being higher in Sweden. Well, jokes <laughs> on you guys. Yeah, because so. we've got the Mandalorian. <laughs> They've got IKEA. We've got the Mando. One nil. <laughs> To Sweden. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> to Sweden. Yes. Oh, I love Ikea. Do love Ikea. Um, I'm very, very excited about this. I predict confidently that this season will end with Mando kicking Boba Fett off a bridge and then burning down a forest in Endor. That's my feeling. That's how uh, season two is going to finish. That's how Chris rolls. <laughs> That's how I roll. What would you do if Moff Gideon turned out to be trying to prevent climate change? Honestly, I, can't, I cannot with this. I cannot. Climate change is a serious issue. 
shoot. It is no. not a villain's motivation. It cannot be. Oh. Not being funny, Helen, but that jetpack is not environmentally friendly. Oh, you don't know. It's not necessarily run on, you know, anything bad. It could be nuclear <laughs> fission, which is fine. All the, the, the byproduct is like water or something. Just so we make sure that we actually say what the date is, it's October 30th, because oh, yeah. it's coming back. Um, yes, it is. Uh, and yeah, I also say... I'm looking forward to seeing how Ludwig Göransson will evolve the score because oh God, I, yeah. the, the music is one of the best elements of that show. It's one of the reasons why at the end of every episode, you want to watch the credits because not only does it have the great concept art, but it has the music um, as well. Some of which, you know, some I think episode seven has an orchestral version of the Mandalorian theme, which just That's sounds so divine. If you haven't sort of listen to that yet yeah, go to youtube and seek it out it's fantastic so i'm looking forward to seeing how he's gonna add more layers onto it obviously i'm a big fan of his work so mm. yeah more mm. ludwig please i thought his work in tenet was a bit disappointing but maybe i just need to listen to it a bit more me too i need to listen to the score on its own i'm not sure if it's mm. been released yet but i'm looking forward to the day yeah i'm presumably we'll have to listen to it backwards but uh <laughs> it felt little hand simmer light I don't know. It's hard to tell. I mean, his career is fascinating because I've just been rewatching a bunch of New Girl and he's the composer on most episodes of New Girl. Obviously, he did loads of community back in the day as well. It's just not the normal career path you think of for composers. I love it's it. Really not. He can do pretty much anything, I think. Yep. But yes, Mando is coming our way October 30th. Get your Baby Yoda gifts, get your Baby Yoda memes at the ready because Baby Yoda is going to come back and be kicked off a bridge in the, at the end of the first episode. <laughs> no more Baby Yoda. Such a oh, shame. Oh, you're telling Ben. I'm not like I'm not taking that one. <laughs> Anything else before we get into shameless plug time? Amy Adams has joined the cast of Dear Evan Hansen. So is Julianne Moore. And Julianne Moore. My God. Wow. What, who's Julianne Moore playing? No idea. Cool. Thanks, Chris. Um, so Amy Adams is playing uh, Cynthia Murphy, who's the mother of uh, a, a boy who kills himself, basically. And Ben Platt, who plays the titular Evan Hansen, um, is a guy who basically unintentionally uh, gets assumed to have been this kid's best friend. So he gets kind of caught up in this kind of cauldron of grief around around um, uh, Connor's death. And Amy Adams, as his mother, sort of leans on Evan as, you know, someone who knew her son and can maybe like tell her kind of why he did what he did. So, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's a really like very emotional role potentially for her. And uh, she's fantastic casting. And obviously she can sing and everything as well. So hooray. Hooray, hooray, hooray for Amy Adams and Julianne It's Julianne not really that Moore. kind of musical though, Chris. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Scream 5 is coming our way. Mark your calendars, January 14th, 2022. Mm. Uh, it is, I think, all the original cast are still alive and they added Jack Quaid to the lineup yes. this mm. week. From uh, The Boys. Season yes. 2, which is ongoing on Amazon at the moment and is awesome. Looking and you can hear more about that, that on the Pilot oh, TV dear podcast. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> to, to, to do this in normal life. <laughs> yes, we reviewed it in our 100th show where we had Tom Ellis. No on, wonder you're lonely and unloved. Tom Ellis, by the way, Tom Ellis, by the way is actual Lucifer. So that Actual is genuinely Lucifer. exciting. I will we give a, I will give Pilot this. That you. is genuinely exciting because he's cool. Actual yes. Lucifer. I mean, we've had better guests. I mean, no, but like we haven't had the actual devil. I'm just yeah, saying. We haven't had the That's Lord debatable. of Hell. That's debatable. He seems to be a regular member of the team. He stood down. Is he really still the Lord of Hell? Anyway. But yeah, True. he's very cool. I saw a great episode this week. Um, I went down a nostalgic rabbit hole 
of early of the 80s Twilight Zone and I saw uh, an episode 20 minute long episode directed by Wes Craven or rather a 20 minute segment of a one hour episode that, that starred Dan Hedaya uh, Garrett Morris M. Emmett Walsh and a young ish looking Morgan Freeman as a group of guys who play cards against the devil and the the devil is played by Dan Hadea and they, they they rumble him really quickly they're like you're the devil you keep getting three sixes he's like yep it's true um I've, I've come for one of you and then they have to play cards to try and decide which one is going to go with him or can they outwit the devil uh, fun episode check it out it's on YouTube that sounds a lot of fun um, that, but by my math that's like four different 27 percenters in one film so that film must be like 108 percent good. It's 108 percent good. Wow! Yeah. And because it's only wow. 20 minutes long, it's the best oh film ever God. made. Yeah, and it's just it's a really fun. It's not trying to be scary whatsoever. It's just a, a wry little character piece with some really really good performers in it. Uh, but anyway, Scream Five subtitled. Do not kill Dewey, Gale, or Sidney Prescott. Uh, it's going to be out <laughs> on January fourteenth, twenty twenty-two. Spoilers for the previous four screams, by the way. Yes, they all survive. Um, <laughs> so fingers crossed they do in this one as well. Otherwise, Scream Five is dead to me. Anything else before I do the shameless plugs? I will say. Well, this is leading into the same place. I will say that it has been a very, very good week for something I've not spoken about in a long time, which is, of course, Denny Villeneuve's Dune, <laughs> which is the cover movie of the new issue of Empire magazine. And I will say, despite the fact that it is not me writing about it, it is still maybe, possibly, if you're bored, possibly worth reading. Oh, Helen. my God. Thanks, James. That's the nicest thing you've ever said about anything I've ever written. And the sad thing is, I'm not lying. That's it was so very weird. exciting to see. We've got this in a Trades cover. There's a Fremen cover. The subscriber cover has a big old sandworm bumhole on there. It's brilliant. It's, it's, Absolutely loving it. In <laughs> I mean, I'm not expert on sandworm you know, anatomy, but I'm pretty sure it's its mouth. If we're talking about the covers, we have to mention that one of the covers features Oscar Isaac's beard. And that is the cover oh, you may want to see. about Rebecca Ferguson. <laughs> oh, wow. Happy birthday to that joke. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm tremendously excited about June. He said with a straight face. Um, <laughs> That's a really no, impressive. I am. I am very excited about this. This is so. So the brand new issue of Empire is out as we speak. It is on Woo-woo. shelves in good and evil news agents across the land. You can get it in Sainsbury's. You can get it in other supermarkets that are also available. Uh, you can get it virtually as well in virtual news agents. And it is an absolute belter of an issue. We sent Helen. To the planet Dune itself. Is that what it's called? I'm not sure what it's called. Arrakis. Arrakis, yes. Also known as Dune. We sent Helen to a branch of Dune on the planet Arrakis and uh, asked her to write stuff, and she obliged. And uh, it's it's really a tremendous tremendous article. I haven't read it. No, I didn't. I'm sure. I'm sure that it's a tremendous article. It's full of sandworms. Thank you. Yes, it's um, like okay. I'm not. I'm not just bigging up the magazine here, but this was. One, well, I mean, it is a very good magazine as well, it's, but this was genuinely more. one of the greatest sets I've ever been on. 
like literally physically the greatest set Are in the sense that it to was make about me cry. 300 this, this meters long. <laughs> Genuinely, like, I, they had the whole spaceport, which is basically just built on a one-to-one yes, scale you, of, a, of a spaceport. <laughs> I was in an actual ornithopter and like wiggled the pedals and somehow it didn't start flying because I guess I didn't have the key, but it was pretty close. I handled a Chris knife. I got to try the Gonja bar and the Benigasera ping box i mean uh-huh. oh my Fucking god try the gom jabar on you if you're not careful well, um, <laughs> yes bit, I, much. I, bit much so we have two covers uh on one cover we have josh brolin as blip blip uh, we have gurney halleck yeah that's, that's right yes the atreides master of arms we have oscar isaac as king ralph um Duke no. Lito Duke Atreides. Lito Atreides. Yep, yep that's him we have a <laughs> Timmy Two Meats, Timothy Chalamet himself as Carl McLaughlin, and Paul we have Atreides. yes, that's him, also known as Muad'Dib or Usul, the strength that is the base of the pillar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I and, so is, much. You know. uh, and Rebecca Ferguson as Queen of the Slipstream. So yes, well done, Lady the Lady Jessica, concubine to the Duke of House Atreides and Bene Gesserit Witch. Indeed. <sighs> yes, and then obviously uh, on another cover we have Zendaya okay. as Mary Jane Watson Parker. Chani. Okay. Yes, a friend have- from Siege Naber. Tabber, sorry, Tabber. let me do it again. Oh from my Siege God. Tabber. Oh, you got it wrong. <laughs> I got- <laughs> and that is why Helen did the Et set visit two. and James did not. <laughs> I misspoke. I misspoke. I did not get it wrong. Oh my God. Uh, who else is on the cover? I can't see this. It's too small. There's uh, Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem. I still got the naive of Siege Tabber. Yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you also uh, have a pretty there's good bit. two bit, others right? on there. Is, is Sharon Duncan Brewster on that one? Liet Kynes. As Liet Kynes. And, uh, and the fourth person on the cover, if there are four people, which I can't remember, is, of it's course, Drogo. Jason Momoa, <laughs> Cal Drogo, uh, who here is going by the name... James? You're going to... Yes, okay. Duncan. Duncan Idaho. So Duncan the Tall. You made that up. No, I'm not kidding. His <laughs> was, name is Duncan all, Idaho. It was all King Duke... Blip blip, the hoodaboo of the planet of Blip blip, and then suddenly it's Duncan. Are you There's kidding a Jessica? me? Jessica? Why is a Duncan too far? Jessica. Can I just say, can I just say, this isn't, this is the thing that always kind of throws me slightly in fantasy and science fiction and speculative fiction as a whole. When you have a cast of characters who have fantasy slash sci fi names, and then there'll be like a Keith in there somewhere. <laughs> like, this is the thing. <laughs> genuinely. Like yeah. Brent Weeks does a, a brilliant series of books, the, uh, the starting with the Black Prism, uh, and uh, the main character is called Gavin, and it never <laughs> fails to take me out of the story. And then I'm sort of like, "Hey, that. Gav!" And you're just like, "What is happening?" Well, King Falgor the Magnificent is saying, "Quickly, we must stop the the reckoning, the ascension of the planets." And Keith, and then Keith goes, oh, "I've listened to the latest episode of the Pilot TV podcast, and it was really quite interesting. They had they had Tom Ellis who plays Lucifer as one of the guests." Uh, not quite of the caliber of guest, of course, on the as on the Empire podcast, of which I am also a fan, but nevertheless quite engrossing. We've got David Morrissey on this week's podcast, Chris. It's very exciting. Really, the Singapore grip he's talking about. Yes, he's talking about the Singapore grip, which is a a a, a sex move. You can hear all about that on the is new TV podcast. What? It is. Yes, it's so a what he uses on Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct too. Yes, that is exactly what he does. Good lord, this this name thing is the is a similar thing that tipped me off about Pacific Rim and Pacific Rim Two because Pacific mm-hmm. Rim you got Idris Elba and his character name is Marshall Stacker Pentecost. <laughs> it is one of the greatest character names. Of all time. Then yeah, in Pacific Rim 2, John Boyega plays his son, and John Boyega's name in this film is Jake. 
What yeah. the hell? There is no way your name is Master Stacker Pentecost and you're naming your kid Jake. I refuse okay, to believe it. It's ridiculous. Hear me out. Maybe Stacker was like relentlessly bullied at school yeah. for being called Stacker. He shouldn't. And I maybe feel like I want to be that guy's friend. I want to be maybe that guy's he wanted best to, friend. Maybe it took him a long time to become that guy. <laughs> and maybe he wanted to spare his son that trauma. You know, maybe it was a gift of love to call him Jake. No, I'm sorry. I couldn't get to the end without laughing. I Jake Pentecost. <laughs> what a name. Oh, oh yeah. what a guy. Anyway, there's loads of other great stuff inside the issue as well. We have an interview with the Black Widows. Um, so Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh in conversation together. That's a lot of fun. Uh, I wrote a feature on Rebecca. She was furious. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, obviously, the Ben Wheatley remake of the Daphne du Maurier book uh, of the same name. Uh, I spoke to Ben Wheatley and I spoke to Lily James and Army Hammer. And I resisted the urge to sing Call Me By Your Name to him, uh, which is <laughs> his so loss, so not strong, mine. Uh, we were also on set of Mustache on the Nile, uh, in which Kenneth Branagh's Mustache solves another crime. Uh, very excited about that one. Then we have a look also at Ratchet, the, the, the prequel to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, before One one flew over the cuckoo's nest, I guess. Uh, we have an interview with the great Roger Corman, the king of schlock. An interview with Morford Clark as well, who's a wonderful, oh, wonderful rising young Welsh actor. Uh, loads of film news inside the Take 20 section. In my section, review, which is the best section, uh, we have <laughs> interviews with Sam Neill. We have the Alien and Predator ranking. We have a look at the making of Flash Gordon and all sorts of other stuff mm. as well. Plus all the reviews you could possibly want, all wrapped up in one pretty looking package and all for the princely sum of just £47,500. Sorry, a few quid. Just for the princely sum of a few quid, you can have that right now. And of course, the feature that Donald Trump wanted to ban is in there on TikTok. Forget TikTok, kids. Podcast is where it's at. So <laughs> we're delighted to say that whilst we're doing some shameless plugging, um, we are going to be doing a live show. Oh, yes, indeed. Now, you may say, Chris, isn't there a global pandemic? <laughs> you possibly be doing a live show, you absolute colossal idiot. Um, and I say to you, well, socially distanced is how we're going to be doing a live show. Uh, our good friend, King's Place, which is where we have done live shows for the last, well, I want to say, three or four years now. Uh, every September, they put on the London Podcast Festival, and this year, they are doing exactly the same. Uh, King's Place, as with many events venues across the UK and across the world, in fact, has been hit hard by the pandemic. And so we and others, um, I know that Edith Bowman is doing a live soundtracking, for example, I think the night after us, I think Mark Kermode's doing a live show as well. Um, we're doing our best to help them out by doing a live show as part of the London Podcast Festival on September 24th. We will be there in person. We will be about a meter apart at all times. We'll be elbow bumps all round. King's Place usually seats 400 people. But because of social distancing regulations and restrictions, they're going to be seating a hundred people or so. Tickets are on sale right now. Go to kingsplace.co.uk and we would love to see people in the audience. We understand if people are reluctant. We understand if people don't want to take a risk by going out and by seeing us. Um, we would love to see people there. Live shows are great with an audience, with a receptive audience. We would love the buzz that you guys would, would provide us as well. And it'd be a lot of fun. That said, if you can't 
get along or you don't want to get along on the night of September 24th, we will also be, as with all London Podcast Festival uh, shows, live streaming it. So for a smaller price, you can still get the live experience. Just won't obviously be the same as being in a room and watching four giggling idiots. Giggle. And Helen will do a crossword live. So it'll, be, <laughs> it'll be one of those things. Uh, so you can stream it no matter where you are in the world, I believe. And that's also available on the kingsplace.co.uk website. If you've always wanted to come to one of our live shows, but you've never done it or you've never been in, this, in the right city at the right time we're not doing a tour this year for obvious reasons or you're you're, you're in the states or elsewhere then now is your chance um i don't know if it's going to be streamed as video after the fact but of course it will be available as that week's podcast but you'll just miss the uh the unique visual enhancement of watching <laughs> us sweat and gurn and and giggle um so go to kingsplace.co.uk we would love to see you there in person um we are assured that social distancing will be in place, so that we'll be safe. So it's entirely up to you if you want to come along, but we would love to see you there. Or if not, see you on the stream. kingsplace.co.uk Okay, so after that epic, 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 an epic of epic epicness section, <laughs> we now move into the second day of the podcast. And this time we're going to tackle the listener question, which comes this week uh, via Twitter after one of my panicked shout-outs of a Thursday. At uh, UndeadWayne is the one who answered the call with a question that did not require any research. So oh, we, thank God. That's why we plumped for it. <laughs> there are other questions that we may tackle across the coming weeks. But he asks, with cinemas reopening, safety measures in place, the same safety measures that means you can come and see our live show at King's Place uh, with uh, peace of mind. What is the cinema-going experience that you've missed the most, but also not missed the most? I, and this is Undead Wayne, have rediscovered my love of seeing trailers in theatre, but also my hatred of cinema latecomers. I have rediscovered my hatred of undead people watching movies alongside me. So, <laughs> Wayne, stay away from any screening I go to, please. Oh my god, harsh. What about you guys? My least favourite thing at the moment is uh, the adverts. I don't like them at the best of times. Uh, trailers, I am absolutely here for. There should be more trailers, if anything, in front of films. It should be all trailers. It should be half an hour of trailers. So that's fine. But adverts in the cinema, I don't love at the best of times. And at the moment, and I believe this is because the, the cost of cinema advertising has dropped and because the amount of advertising that companies uh, feel they can pay for right now has also dropped, uh, but the people who seem to be advertising right now are are charities. Now, t for the avoidance of doubt, let me say that I support charities. I think charity <laughs> is good. I think, you know, people should give to charity. And what? I don't mind if you think that's controversial. I'm just going to stick to that position. However... Who died made you a Bond villain? <laughs> <laughs> however, when I go to the cinema to escape from the current hellscape of the world. <laughs> and then I sit through, and I'm not kidding you, 20 minutes of, of adverts for the National Bereavement Hotline and uh, <laughs> about prostate cancer and about, um, well, COVID precautions, obviously, and everything else. I mean, you know, even when they, they tried to do the, the cheery one about coming back to the cinema, they had prominent pictures of Black Panther, which obviously at the moment, and this is not something they could have foreseen, is also upsetting. And so literally, I, by the time the film started, I was in a deep, deep funk, and then Tenet happened in front of me. You know, it, 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 it just, it's a lot to take at a very difficult time in the world, and, and it would be lovely if we could just just, just watch a film, dudes, you know, just, just, just see a film. Surely yeah. Tenet, the adverts should come after the film. 
<laughs> right, exactly. They really should. That would be ideal. <laughs> My answer uh, for both the good and the bad is the same thing. People. <laughs> um, because... God, they're the I, worst. <laughs> I was I went I went to watch the New Mutants at a public screening uh, the other day, and yeah, despite the fact that I was like the only guy in the screening for a long while, there's these people just came in halfway through and just started talking loudly. Oh. I'm like, mm. I had to tell them to stop talking and remind them that I was in the the the, the screening, so that was annoying. But people also are why you know, that communal feeling that you get when you're watching, when you're all reacting to the same thing at the same time in the same mm-hmm. way. That is why cinema is unparalleled as a viewing experience. Yeah. And I, you know, I miss that a lot. Um, you know, Mulan, which we're going to be talking about in a second, is something I would have wished to have seen for the first time in the cinema because there are, there are many moments in that movie where you're like, if I was watching this in the cinema right now, this would be a huge big deal and you just don't get that when you're watching it on on, no matter how big the screen is at home you Mm. just don't get that um and you know we 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 were all in the screening for uh, no i hesitate to bring this up because i know exactly what chris is going to say but um avengers endgame that screening was well incredible there we go come on chris Uh, tell us where you were i was in la at the world premiere Uh, (sighs) um there it is (laughs) but yeah, the communal atmosphere in that screening in particular was something Tell which I'll never forget. Friend. Oh, just when, stop. At the end, at the end, when Steve <laughs> wheels me on there, I remember turning to my right and and looking at Jeffrey Wright, and we shared a little moment, a moment of recognition. Unbearable. Uh, just, what? What? Did I say that out loud? Oh my god. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a communal experience, but it can be absolutely ruined by the people you go see it with. I went to see New Mutants the other day. We'll talk about that in a second. I turned to my left and there was a Helen there. Uh, I was furious about it. I complained to the manager. They said nothing could be done. Uh, so I had to endure New Mutants with, with a Helen in close proximity. Absolutely hellscape, yeah. Well, you know what they say, Chris? Helen is other people. <laughs> it's been a long time like going back to the cinema after six months away just feels nuts and i think the things i've missed most is little things like you know obviously pick and mix and popcorn and those things that you just would never eat at any other time well you shouldn't eat at any other time um but i also miss i miss <laughs> yeah, well, quite. i'm 90 uh, pick and 20 yeah. mix every time you walk past the camp counter at morrison's um <laughs> not anymore it's it's the uh it's I miss our queuing for yes. the big screening, yeah. whether it be, you know, the Rise of Skywalker, Orcs, or, you know, Endgame or Infinity War, where we turn up five hours early at the <laughs> to the bemusement of whoever it is who's running the cinema just to queue for our the optimal seats. And you know, there's something about that. The number of times we've had to ask, where's the queue? And they've gone, what queue? <laughs> and they're like, you are the queue. <laughs> We're like, that's no problem. And then we stand there and three hours later, we are still the only people in the quote unquote queue. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very British thing, though, isn't it? You just uh, stand somewhere and a queue forms behind you naturally. No one knows. Half those people are seeing those films by accident. <laughs> yeah. They like to see a queue, wind up seeing Endgame. <laughs> it's it sort of amplifies the excitement of these things. I've missed mm. all that stuff, and then of course going back to the cinema, I realised the things that I really don't miss. To wit, talkers, phone screeners, rustlers, breathers, latecomers, <laughs> toilet breakers, and other ne'er do wells. Uh, basically, mm. anyone who pulls me out of the film. Mm. Yeah, uh, and it's the phone screeners more than anything else. This has become a thing over the last ten years more. Than 
anything else that's driven me nuts is yeah. that is that people will take out their phone like dude don't you don't need to stop in the middle of this film and check instagram it will be there when you come out for the love of god stop it and of course it is massively distracting i think more than anything and i will never forget the uh i went and saw uh on stranger tides i mean that in itself was problematic but uh oh no it was salazar's revenge it was salazar's revenge and um <laughs> well that's all right then <laughs> the beloved salazar's revenge but it was an influencer screening i mean oh, it, there's no. nothing more hateful than an influencer screening but i swear to god every single one of them was on their phones all the way through the film and apparently I was warm before I went just so you know they're like Instagram they're influencers they probably will be like they'd be fat. I was like oh, surely this won't be and it was all the <laughs> yeah. way through it needless to say I bolted the door on the way out and set fire to them all <laughs> you went full and glorious bastards as, as your lawyer <laughs> yes, James as your lawyer <laughs> me, no. me and Helen had to pull up with something similar at the Godzilla King of the Monsters screening that's right I was trying to remember which one that was it was a nightmare it was a nightmare and, and the like, film or the uh, no the well uh, but the script the, the the influencers yeah. like I actually don't you know hate people on Instagram like there are people I follow on Instagram because they tell me about good things or because they you know ice cakes really nicely and there's something really satisfying about watching a good cake icing video but that's not a euphemism um, but <laughs> honestly I think the people there, you can be an influencer and I will still treat you like a human being but if you're an influencer who uses your phone in the cinema well get out of town mm -hmm. that is not acceptable I had to speak of up course. at one point, and I think they moved, right. thankfully. But yeah, there were still like two others who just continued to be on the phone. It was very annoying. <sighs> and the film didn't do much to, you know... Lift the distract gloom. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> Otherwise, I have had a decent time going back to the cinema. I think I've been back four times now, not counting screenings. So let me see, Tenet, New Mutants, and two others. Yeah, four times. And... I don't know that there's a lot that I've not missed. You know what I mean? I don't. I haven't had any dickheads in my screenings. Obviously, I was next to a Helen for New Mutants, but nothing hey. you can do about that. Um, they should have pointed it out when uh, when I bought the seat. <laughs> when I mean, you bought a... mine as well. So <laughs> shut you know. up, Helen! Shut up! You're ruining it! You're ruining it, Helen! Ruiner! <laughs> Yeah, I haven't had any dickheads in my screenings. Uh, obviously, people have had me in their screenings, so I've you know ticked the dickhead box there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Um, but otherwise, I haven't had any talkers. I haven't had any phone screeners. You know, I haven't had anyone get up to go to the toilet loads and loads, um, which is good. I have a bladder of steel. I can sit through a three and a half hour movie and nary spill a drop. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, either that or I just piss my pants and just hope no one notices. One of the two. But yes, um, I've, I've had a decent time going back to the cinema so far, but I haven't had a really packed screening yet. My mm. Tenet screen was fairly empty. New Mutants was fairly empty. So I'm going to go see Tenet again this week because I really need to understand more than I do ahead of recording our spoiler special for it next week, hopefully. And I don't understand any of it, quite frankly. I don't understand how the the images appear on the screen. That's a big one for me. Uh, or how the actors remember their lines. Little things like that. But the plot stuff is also a bit, you know, out there for me. So, um, but maybe it'll be more of a packed screening and then and then we'll, we'll see whether there are dickheads to report back on. Right. I think that has taken care of that question. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast as Undead Wayne found to his satisfaction, then you can get in touch with this via one method and one method only right now, which is via Twitter. Uh, I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. So just find me, seek me out there, slide into my DMs if you must. Time now for this week's guest. So Alan Partridge has dominated 
pretty much every medium that he has turned his hand to over the years, whether it's as sports presenter on a on a news show on the television or the star of his own sitcom or the host of his own BBC magazine format show this time with Alan Partridge or documentaries like Scissored Isle or his own audiobooks or his own radio show Midmorning Matters on North Northfork Digital. Uh, he is a colossus, but the one area that he has never bestrode before is podcasts. Uh, that changes this week with the release of the Audible original podcast, Alan Partridge from the Oast House, uh, which is absolutely blinding. It is, for my money, perhaps the single funniest iteration of Alan in the last five or six years. Uh, funnier than Alpha Papa, I would say. Oh, I thought it was more than five or six years ago. Uh, funnier than this time. It is really, really concentrated, pure, undiluted Alan. And of course, the man behind Alan Partridge is the great Steve Coogan and has been so for almost 30 years now. And uh, this week I caught up with him over... Zoom, I think. And we had a chat about all things Alan and a good time was had by all. Do please enjoy this interview with Steve Coogan. Aha! Delighted to be joined in lockdown, of course, by the man who is Alan Partridge, returning with his very own podcast. It is Steve Coogan. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. Very, very happy to be here talking to you. Oh, well, th- thanks for doing this. Um, you were on our 400th episode, the live show at the King's Place that you did with Michael Winterbottom back in February, mm. pre-lockdown. And I don't recall your hair being this resplendent. This is proper lockdown hair. Well, I, I keep my hair long. Uh, I grow my hair until I have to cut it for a roll. So it shows you how long it is since I've acted in anything. Because I just... I just uh, I, I couldn't be bothered to cut it during, and also it kind of it, it makes me uh, it makes me less recognisable. So I don't pe- people don't shout aha at me as often in the street, which is very I'm very happy about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that doesn't happen that much anyway in lockdown, right? I mean, you're going out, you're going out with a mask, you're not getting a lot of ahas. Yeah, I'm very happy about the mask. That just to help helps even more actually to uh, 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 avoid being recognised. So yeah, that, so I'm very happy about that. Um, but. Uh, I'm sure at some point when I, I, I actually when I do when I, I'm writing an Alan Partridge series for BBC right now, mm-hmm. uh, sounds like it's all I do, but I am doing lots of other things too. Um, but uh, <laughs> but the, and the series for Channel Four. But when I do that in January, then I'll have to cut my hair because I, I you know it's just it's not a great look. Um, so <laughs> on camera, so, so um, I don't know. I, I like it. I like it. I, I wish well, I could have hair that long. I I, I just can't do it. Yeah, well, I like to tease Rob Brydon about my uh, my uh, astute edge of Alan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't you mean the man's got a lovely, lovely head of hair? But uh, as I mentioned, you are uh, entering the podcast realm. So this is one of the few things, one of the few mediums that Alan hasn't conquered over the years. You know, if I were to list every type of show that Alan has done, we'd be here uh, until next Wednesday. But uh, yeah. podcasts was not one of them. So was that something that you wanted to take off? Uh, we just thought the opportunity was presented to us by Audible. Do you want to do a podcast? And um, I talked to Rob and Neil, my co-writers, about it. And they mm-hmm. and me thought, oh, well, we can do this. And in actual fact, it, uh, it, it's, uh, it's sufficiently different to allow us to explore a different side of Alan's character. Um, because uh, most podcasts are... Uh, in, in, by nature, apart from the sort of the, the ones that are uh, 
scripts and sort of mysteries and the investigations and things and that mm. a lot of them are um when they're being done by uh, broadcasters are there's no scripts that the people talk on them like we're doing now mm. um but with alan unfortunately although it appears to be alan being spontaneous every single word has to be written and and uh, even though it sounds like it's spontaneous and it's just Alan off the cuff, yeah, it's a lot of hours of uh, arduous uh, labor in, in terms of writing. So it's t- just as hard to write as a TV show, but it's different because it's intimate and it's just Alan and I don't have to dress up as him because it's a podcast. So it was a different, a different feel to it. And also it's quite a short journey from uh, writing to uh, recording it so you mm. you can the the last bit of writing took place hours before you know the, the most of it was written but there was a like a, a shortfall that we would write literally uh a few hours before the actual recording so mm. that there's, a, there's a sort of freshness to it so and, uh, and there's an intimacy to it which allows us to um uh tap into a different side of alan's nature um which you don't get in the sort of tv stuff he does where he's He's inverted commas broadcasting, yeah. Um, and uh, on a TV, TV where there are certain constraints, you know, if you're a TV presenter, so Alan has to adhere to those. Whereas in the, in the podcast, we can uh, render Alan in a more um, uh, introspective, uh, nuanced way and a more mm-hmm. candid way. So you, people feel like they're there, and also people listen to podcasts normally on their own. So um, it, the the, the it's. It, it, uh, it means that you're not hostage to, as it were, uh, providing punchlines in the same way. People can choose to laugh where they want, and it, you can be more fluid with it. Yeah. Did you look at other podcasts? Did you look at models for this? I mean, for example, it's not a, a Sue format podcast where the Empire podcast is, for example. No, no, it's not an interview thing, and it's a, but it's it's a. There are podcasts where people. I mean, there are a lot of very thin, flimsy podcasts out there, frankly. Thank uh, you very much. Uh, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll put you to one side with that. Uh, but there's <laughs> where it's people just sort of, uh, just basically musing on anything, and it's uh, and, and there's very little prep, and it's just one person just, you know. I mean, they, those are sort of very low status amateur ish podcasts, mm. but they're the ones which sort of took as inspiration, really. Um, that we we. Uh, you know, we wanted Alan to uh, be able to uh, pass on his um, his innermost thoughts. So it was, uh, it, you know, it was, you know, uh, we, so we listened to a few um, that we thought would be not extensively, but we listened to a few and thought, what would Alan do? And it's, and we're not just mimicking them either. It's not just a satire podcast at all, really. It's just a medium. Uh, and we just approach it through the eyes of the character. So what we sit down and we go, what would Alan do? You know, and so mm. he leads the he leads the way, and we sort of follow and we think, what will be interesting? Let's create a world. You know, you hear his maid, you hear phone calls, you're, you eavesdrop on phone calls with his assistant. Yeah, uh, you only hear one side of the phone conversation, which uh, we think works better in comedy because the yeah. audience is forced to fill in the gap uh, of what they think the other side of the conversation is and. That seems to work better uh, in terms of comedy. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, it's um, it didn't feel like we would have to force our creativity. Is that one of the keys for you and and the brothers, given that you know Alan can keep surprising you? You can keep finding new things in the Alan Arsenal, so to speak. 
Yeah, we've sort of got used to the fact that we don't think of it as a finite thing. It's just a sort of a, a, a tap you can turn on and off. Yeah. And uh, it also, you know, Alan is a, uh, a mirror to society. So, so uh, and, you know, uh, popular culture and, you know, and society are constantly evolving and you know it's an it's an endless story, isn't it? Uh, uh, the story of Western culture is mm. uh, a constantly evolving story, and all Alan has to do is reflect that through his own slightly distorted prism. So yes. it doesn't. It, it, so so it's it's the gift of giving in that regard. So you, so you know as things change, you know Alan's thoughts and. You know, uh, re- reflecting that, and Alan also evolves himself. He's not exactly the same person. He does. He's not constant. He mm-hmm. tries to uh, move with the times. He gets it wrong, and that's why it's funny. But he's, it's not like he's uh, unchanging. You know, the Alan of uh, twenty-five years ago is, is sort of a slightly different Alan than the Alan of today. The Alan today realizes, for example, that you have to um, you know, embrace cultural change to stay mm-hmm. relevant as we all do in the real world as well. And, and, and changing the format, of course, also triggers other uh, sort of uh, types of creativity. It, was sort of, it, mm. it provided a new seam to mine, if you like. One of the things I love about what you guys have done with Alan over the last few years in particular is the way that you have deepened the character and you've deepened the mythology, if for want of a better word, of Alan. And that is reflected in this podcast. I don't want to give too much away, but there are references to past events in Alan's life. There's references to your, you know, Alan's hair length in Alpha Papa, for example, which is which which tickled me immensely. And um, you know, and finally, you guys address the uh, the the thorny issue of Alan's accent and why it's not a Norfolk accent, which is really interesting as well. So. Well, we, we, we look at what's, uh, what sometimes what people are saying or observations I've made. Someone stopped me in the street once and said, uh, why, why hasn't Alan Parsons got a Norfolk accent? I thought, well, it's because I don't really know what a Norfolk accent is. I mean, I, I, also it's quite, I, do, I have heard it, but it's, it's quite a difficult one to master. I thought, well, let's just address that. You know, let's let's anything that people say in the real world, we just try and fold it in and make a virtue of it and answer, answer it in Alan's world. How do you and the Gibbons work together, and has it evolved to over the what nearly decade now? You've been you've been writing this character together. Yeah, it, the, the, yes, they started uh, on my live tour in two thousand and eight. So that was the first time they tried to write the part the character, and it was a re- real revelation because. Uh, Armando and Pete Bainham had moved on to greener pastures, if you like. And I was uh, sort of uh, on a boat without any oarsmen. And uh, the Gibbons came along and um, uh, they they sort of re- reinvented the character. With me. I, I realized then that I, I you know, I, uh, and, and tapped into another side of the character and had a, an enthusiasm that, basically helped uh, re- you know, reboot it. And, and, um, but the way I write with the Gibbons is, uh, well, for the past, the, the podcast, we'd meet up and, and write, and, um, and they'd go away and do stuff. We'd have meetings, and we'd, we'd uh, talk about stuff and, and write it. We'd meet up in the office, three of us at a table, then they'd go away and write stuff, they'd show it to me, and then we'd go through it again, and, and we'd build it and build it and build it. And, uh, you know, but right now we're doing a TV, another series of this time for BBC One, 
and that is more or less all been written via Zoom. Oh, wow. Uh, but, but then most of a lot of my writings by was already via zoom and skype before before you know uh, lockdown and covid made zoom the new thing but before that i did a lot of writing online anyway I write, i've got two writers in america i'm writing with and that's all online so so uh yeah my lockdown was pretty productive because i was just jump bouncing from zoom to zoom to writing on these various different projects and uh but the, but now since that I and mean, we could uh meet up in a controlled way but mm. It's fine. It's fine that we, we write. I was writing them this morning, in fact, you know, via uh, Zoom. And uh, we, we, yeah, we all uh, chip in and then we, we, we talk things through and we, we, we practice things. We do some improvisation mm-hmm. and then they go away and together and individually write up various scenes. Then we, I, I read it and then we get back on the Zoom again and we go through it again and we keep adding layer upon layer upon layer and, and slowly fashion this, um, this narrative with the, with the podcast, um, you know, we, we planned it and, and decided to give each one a theme and also have a kind of an overarching, uh, uh, storyline that, that would, uh, would be a plate that we would spin in every episode. So that there was a kind of resolution, uh, at mm. the end, uh, although we weren't hostage to a, 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 an exact chronological sequence. We we could shift some of them around, but the, uh, the the first few and the last two three had to had to be. That generally the way we do it anyway is that we like to have a little bit of flexibility. I think the last TV series, the middle two episodes could have been flipped either way to give you some flexibility. But but yeah, so we you you structure it and then you and you do some improv and then in the end you everything's written within a hair's breadth. Of it. and uh, and we did we, uh, with the podcast. We did you know we didn't just sit in a in a studio. We we recorded most of it in my house, and uh, we went out in the car. Whenever there's a car a scene driving in the car, we actually got in the car and drove the car. We didn't have to. We could have simulated it with a recording, but we we, did. we got in the car, and went for a drive. When Alan's driving in the podcast, he's dri- I am driving. They're in the car, the Gibbons, with the recording equipment and uh, an engineer. And uh, and when I'm walking in the countryside, I was walking in the countryside. I mean, you know, so, yeah. yeah, because you can't fake that. You can't. Well, you can, but it you doesn't can, sound the same. On Radio Four drama, when you hear someone, you know, it's like um, you know the archers when they're walking across gravel. You can just see the foley artists standing in a tray of gravel. You can just it does. It, it, it's never quite. You know. No, doesn't quite work. No, I love that. I love the uh, the the commitment to verisimilitude is is much appreciated. Um, as you mentioned there, you know the Alan of twenty five years ago is very different to the Alan of now. Uh, has the way you've played him changed? I, I guess when you started off playing this character, you were much younger than he was meant to be, and now you're roughly the same age. That must have changed things. It has, I suppose. I was all, I, we just I first do, started doing him when I was twenty six. And we always decided I was 10 years older. So when I was 26, I was 36. And as years went on, I, I, we always said he's 10 years older than I am. And we would give him makeup to age, to age, give me makeup to age me and make me look, look older. And of course, we don't bother with that now because I, I don't need fake crow's feet because I've got real ones. And, um, uh, so, and what we've done is we sort of slightly closed the gap without drawing too much attention to it. If you want to be really pedantic, you could say, oh, hang on a second, when was he born? We kind of are slightly vague about certain details because yeah. 
we want to, you know, I'm 54. We don't want Alan to be sick. I think he's, we sort of make Alan, he's about 60-ish. Maybe. Uh-huh. It is easier to do him now. And, uh, uh, but the, the way, but the character itself has, well, there's two things. Uh, the way we write the character has evolved. So the writing mm-hmm. of the character now is more nuanced uh, because we can be, because people are familiar with the character. So uh, that gives license to embellish the character and add little details that people will pay attention to because they feel like they already know him. So you don't have to spend time explaining who he is. Everyone knows who he is, who's interested in him, generally speaking. And so you can, you can explore all these subtleties. Uh, and, and that's... Uh, that, that's good. So the writing style uh, has evolved. But Alan himself, as a character, has also evolved insofar as he's tried to move with the times. He tries to, you know, uh, he's aware of, um, you know, Me Too and uh, Black Lives Matter and all that stuff. And uh, so he tries to accommodate it, tries to, uh, he wants to be modern. He doesn't want to be in irrelevance. He's not reactionary. He knows that as a broadcaster to survive, you have to be, um, uh, you have to move with the times. So he's uh, economically conservative, but socially liberal, a bit like uh, David Cameron, Alan's great admirer of. So, um, so, so yeah, so, so you, uh, so, so the character slightly evolved. He's, he's less conservative, less socially conservative, if you like. And uh, seeing, and not, not, uh, and seeing him grapple with, um, modern cultural phenomena is uh, part of the fun, the character. Um, uh, he's not uh, completely out of step. Mm. He's just slightly out of step. <laughs> and that's enough to, to find the comedy. Uh, yeah. What's the iteration of Alan that you're, you're the happiest with, that you look back on with the most fondness? I like the doc. Well, I think the funniest thing is probably the documentary we did, Scissor Isle. I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of that. I really like that. Um, I think Mid Morning Matters had some sublime moments in it. I think were possibly the funniest. Um, I'm Alan Partridge, very fun. I mean, I think my favorite I'm Alan Partridge was when he's, uh, there's a scene where he is having sex with his uh, member of his staff in the hotel room. And that was, I do remember that being very, very funny at the time. So I've got fond memories of that. Um, But I'm more of a fan of the Alan Mark II, as it were, that that, that started about 10 years ago, because it's more subtle and there's more pathos. That's the big change is that there's bits of it that where you feel a bit sorry for Alan. It's not just that he's an idiot. Originally, that's what it was. But what, how it's evolved is that sometimes you think, oh, I feel a bit sorry for Alan. I don't want him to get, you know, trampled into the dirt. I want him to come out of it intact. People sort of care about him, even though he's a bit of a fool. He's like a sort of a, a, um, an uncle. Everyone has an uncle that they sort of, they're fond of, but they think he's a bit of an idiot, but they don't dislike him. Alan's not mean. He's not... Uh, grotesque he's just uh you know he's trying and also some of the other people alan encounters are far more far more repugnant than than he is so (laughs) you sometimes want him to to win it's quite interesting because normally you know characters are pompous and they get their comeuppance that's the normal structure but we like the fact that sometimes alan alan wins yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> Indeed. Um, I was going to say, needless to say, he has the last laugh, but you've heard that quote, Steve. <laughs> you've heard that more than enough. I'm not going to do that. Um, but no, of course, um, of course, Alan is the character you've played most, only slightly more than you've played Steve Coogan. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. I mean, and the Steve Coogan is, I mean, Alan is, you know, if, if you do a Venn diagram between me and Alan, there's definitely an overlap. Uh, you know, most of the things Alan says I don't agree with. Occasionally Alan says something I secretly do agree with. Uh, when I play Steve Coogan uh, on for Michael Winterbottom, uh, then obviously there's a bigger Venn diagram overlap, uh, but it's not entirely me, but obviously there are aspects of me. You know, when I, when I look at the trips that I did with Rob, some of the things I say in the trip are absolutely true. And some of the things I say is, that happened to me are complete fiction. Uh, yeah, I talk about, in one, in, I remember the trip to Spain, I talk about following a Spanish assistant to Spain when I was, it's complete nonsense, I never did that. You know, I did, uh, and I had a relationship with my Spanish assistant from school. I didn't, you know, that, that's, so, so we, we mix facts and fiction. And, um, you know, we also seek out acrimony when I'm playing me. The, I, you know, I'm, there's, it's all rooted in truth, but you know, Rob doesn't do silly voices all day long, and I'm not as pretentious as I appear in the trip. You know, there's a bit of it, but I'm just—I know when to rein it in. You know, when Rob and I had real dinners in the end of the day, they were quite—they really were not—we weren't at each other's throats, and they were probably quite boring. You know, we just talk about our kids, our 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 home improvements. Yeah. Just really boring stuff. That sounds good, Steve. You should, you know, I know, I know you're not going to do another trip, but you should, and you should just make it all about that. Yeah, I think. Well, I'll give it a slow, make it die a long, slow, painful death yeah, rather than jumping ship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You and Rob, ten years from now, having really, really dull conversations about home improvements. Well, you know, it might happen. It might. Happen. <laughs> we might do one in ten years' time. God knows. But I really feel like you know, jump, quit while you're ahead. Or, or, or quit while you're in the middle, I guess. Like, like, <laughs> sort of in the middle, just quit now. <laughs> yeah, precisely. What else are you working on at the moment, Steve? You, you mentioned the, this Channel 4 show that's coming out next I'm, year. I'm, I nearly finished writing this thing called Chivalry with Sarah Soleimani, which is about a romance in the middle of the post-woke uh, environment, if you like, uh, about uh, post-Me Too, uh, about the new landscape uh, in, in the uh, film industry in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And it's about yeah, a slightly unreconstructed middle-aged man and a, who's trying to move with the times and a, and a, a young-ish uh, female creative director and about how they navigate their way through the new uh, rules of engagement between men and women specifically. So, uh, and, and that's great, great fun. I'm doing that. And I'm, I'm just about to shoot a, Richard, a film about Richard III, about the body of Richard III that uh, found in the car park that I wrote with Jeff, who I wrote Philomena yep. with, shooting that next year. And then there's a, I've done a reboot of The Persuaders, this Roger Moore, Tony Curtis series. It was on the other seven. So I've done that, which, we're, um, which we've got a lot of uh, very... Uh, g- good interest from from big big platforms in America, and uh, so I've, so that that's uh, so I've I've written the pilot for that. So I've been writing a lot of stuff during lockdown, and uh, 
a hippie drama set in Wales in 1969, which I'm very excited about, and a pharmaceutical thriller I've just written. And Bloody hell, Steve. So, uh, so I do all that. That, that so I, yeah I've had a busy lockdown I mean a really productive lockdown I'm very, yeah. very lucky that I write uh, if I was just an actor I think I'd be going potty so so uh, yeah I just walk my dog ride my bike and write on Zoom that's what I was doing <laughs> well uh, hopefully you haven't got any of those mixed up because that would be terrible and you suddenly do the persuade us as a pharmaceutical thriller. Yeah, no, you. That I could, that it's funny you say that because sometimes when you are writing lots of different things, you do go, oh, hang on, did we talk about that? Is that, is that another project? But if you write with different writers, uh, you know, two writers are women and two and the rest are men, and you know, uh, some some of it's comedy, some of it's drama. But if you write with different people, then you you kind of like your brain is in a slightly different way, and the way you you uh, react to your co-writer, mm. the relationship means that what you uh, end up producing is it has a unique voice. So my what one thing I'm very happy about is that I have these different collaborators that I value in the each and all of them uh, because they provoke and uh, engage and uh, their their relationships and and they they all produce different stuff. So yeah. I just want to ask very very quickly about the persuaders. Is that with the idea that you would you would be one of the persuaders? Yeah, yeah. I cut my hair and shave and smart myself up. And um, <laughs> I can't say who the other person is because he's not signed on yet. But it's an American man. Okay, <laughs> okay. So you're the Roger Worth. You're the Roger Worrell. I mean, um, for yeah. you, I'm the I'm the, I'm playing the British person, and an American is playing the American. So this is huge, Steve. This is huge. Yeah, uh, you could have switched it. Yeah, mm, no, you know, <laughs> there's enough problems playing people who you're not. Yeah. yeah, precisely. Is that is that something that you have a lot of affection for that show? Yeah, I mean, I like you know, I like all kinds of things. I like some stuff that's like I've written some stuff that's like whimsical, some stuff that's um, you know that is uh, how can I put it? Um, is, I'm passionate about has sincere, and then what I've never done is done something which is escapist, and I feel like you know, there's this slight dark obsession with dark edgy brooding this scandi noir kind of uh all pervasive tone to a yeah. lot of drama on tv and i i felt like oh i'm fed up of shadows we have some sunshine right yeah so uh the persuaders is is very sunny and everyone looks good and no one is poor and it's not really real, but it is real. It's sort of it's set in that Euro trash world of yeah. shallow, rich, um, shiny people. Uh, and uh, I just thought it would be fun to write something that were, that was slick and fun and escapist and not social realism, uh, which I'm a fan of. You know, I love Ken Loach, but um, I, he won't like the persuaders at all. But but anyway, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's um, we. Just, I just wanted something that had that kind of. Uh, uh, that was just the antidote to Scandi Noir, I suppose. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, I cannot wait for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say to you was that in the trailer for From the Oast House, and in fact, in one of the episodes, Alan says that he always thought people who host podcasts are, and this is a quote, mm. pale, tech-obsessed social lepers who live with their mums, who can't find a platform with any meaningful broadcaster and start spouting their bloated opinions into a USB microphone to flatter their groaning sense of self-importance. Well, Steve Coogan, this is not a USB microphone, so take that. 
Ah, well, that, that, that obviously that doesn't include you then. You're, you've, you've escaped by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> skin of my teeth. Otherwise, everything else is spot on. But yeah, this is it. Skin of my teeth. Um, it's been a pleasure, sir. Best of luck with the 475 projects you have going on. And uh, best of luck for the future. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Steve Coogan. Very excited about his version of The Persuaders. I wonder who the other person is. Mm. Anyway, we'll be tackling that on the Pilot TV podcast because there's a TV show at some point down the line. Instead, right now, what we're going to do is we're going to finish the whole shebang with movie reviews. And we're going to start with a film that as Amon said earlier on, should quite frankly be in cinemas. It is the latest Disney live-action animation adaptation, Mulan. It was meant to come out back in March, was postponed because of the pandemic, and is now going to be available exclusively on Disney+. Jimbo! Tell us about Mulan. This is the year's biggest missed opportunity and I would argue the best of Disney's live action remakes. I really, really enjoyed this. It's a low bar. (laughs) (laughs) Admittedly, that is true. Cinderella was good. But all the way through this, I couldn't help think this is a stunning, stunning film with huge battle sequences, beautiful vistas, and I'm watching it in my living room and I just thought this more than any other one of these live action remakes you need to see on a big screen and you can't but let's shelve that fact because there's nothing we can do about it and just say that this isn't called the latest of uh, of disney's remakes this is nikki caro's film which was due to come in cinemas and isn't and uh, <laughs> and tells the story of mulan uh, this stars lu yifei in the title role as mulan and it's her story as a sort of a young daughter who pretends to be a boy and goes off and joins the army in a fight against uh, jason scott lee and and his band marauding invaders the thing with this is i always wondered how they would adapt this film because when you look at this even as a cartoon this is huge battle set pieces this is the brave heart of disney movie it's like massive amounts of let's be honest wholesale slaughter and so that does persist in this film but it is entirely bloodless that said they do a pretty good job of making it exciting and sort of visceral but without any gore um and without the need for let's be honest an r rating uh <laughs> and and it actually really works really well and the choreography all the way through this from the great battle sort of from the large-scale battle sequences to the individual sort of conflicts is really really well done there's a scene where mulan fights one of the other soldiers in camp and they make a big deal out of the idea of chi the idea that it's not just that she's a, a good fighter that she has this this inner power this chi which gives her sort of almost superhuman fighting abilities uh and this seems to be a quality that's sort of in in fairly liberal supply like other people do have it but um but it leads to some really really great fight sequences there's lots of good spear action in this and you would expect, you know, a film with good spear <laughs> action. Hugo's spear or just, or just regular spear? Yeah, just regular spear action. Okay. So the action in this is really good. But for me, the human story is kind of where this shines. And I think they made some really good decisions with this. So the romance aspect of this has been downplayed, I think in part because in the cartoon it's her commanding officer and there's a whole Me Too angle there. So the love love interest in inverted commas is now one of her sort of co-recruits. But even that is sidelined because this is more a story about her personal growth and about her sort of carving out her place in a male-dominated world. And more than anything else, I think she plays it 
beautifully. Mm. And it's an incredibly sort of heart-filling, empowering film. Um, much more so than it ever worked, I think, in as an animated one. Like, it really nails that particular theme here. Uh, and I absolutely love this. It, I thought it was magical. I thought it was beautifully shot. It's a lovely story. Uh, and like I say, like, Lu Yifei really, really embodies that uh, that main title role. So, yeah, yeah I thought I this was great. I'm not a huge agree. fan of the Disney live-action remakes, but this, this I thought was really, really good. Loved it. Would love to have seen it in the fucking cinema. Yeah, yeah, me too, definitely. There's that. There's a scene where Mulan really sort of announces herself, shall we say, and the way Nikki Kara shoots it reminds me of the Nomad's Land sequence in Wonder Woman. Mm. Um, it's mm. really, really powerful stuff, and that's a moment which you just need to see on the big screen. I do oh, want to give bump moment. Yeah, it really was. I do want to give a special sh- shout out to Zima, who plays the father of Mulan. Um, he is someone I've seen on screen for a while. I think really the first time I saw mm. him on screen was in Rush Hour, uh, playing an Asian dad. He was also in a TV show I used to watch back in the day called Martial Law. I was on Channel 5. It was very, very good. Um, but yeah, <laughs> he's played a lot of Asian dads since then, but he never bones it in. And his scenes in the first act of this movie are especially affecting. I think he does mm. a fantastic job of really setting up that relationship between her fa- the father and her daughter to and when mm. sort of it loops back around and, you know, finishes that arc it's especially powerful because of the work in that first act and he especially is is fantastic yeah and her mother of course in this place by rosalind chow aka keiko o'brien from star trek yeah she is yes she is (laughs) i i have to agree i think this is a stunning looking film um I mean, Gong Lee, I feel like I haven't seen her enough in the past few years. And it was, it yeah. was great to be reminded of, you know, the fact that she's a phenomenal actress and, and still the world's best looking person, I would say, uh, of either any gender you care to name. <laughs> she's astonishing in this. She's, I think, a really nuanced character mm. as well. And I really liked the way that her, her story unfolded uh, in this because I thought it, mm-hmm. it didn't go exactly the way I, I expected it to. And I give the film credit for that. And I like that kind of thing that they find new ways to tell the story that they find new shades in this story um, because I think the best bits of the Disney live action remakes are the ones that do something different yes. from the cartoons you, okay yes maybe we do need the bit with the avalanche but then we also need things we haven't seen before done better in animation and I think that that Nikki Carroll really threaded the needle mm. that way in this one so so yeah it's gorgeous and, and yes I echo all the complaints about not seeing this on the big screen because mm. it would be Amazing. I mean, obviously, the only thing that would have improved this was would have been the inclusion of Mushu, who was unjustly oh. excised. Love a bit of Mushu. But, I mean, uh... <laughs> yes, but you know, if if like literally the entire population of China is telling us that that's really a little bit offensive, I feel like we should listen to them on that. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. And it's take fair. that as as on board. A but wise uh... cracking Eddie Murphy dragon improves any film by a certain percentage. <laughs> but yes. Four stars then for Mulan, and that is available only to rent slash own, I think, for the next three months on Disney Plus for nineteen ninety nine. Deep sigh. Uh, which seems like a shame. Uh, there are cinemas, guys. They're open. You can screen things in the cinema. That's what they're there for. I don't know. Call me old fashioned. Uh, this feels like a real shame. Real shame. And of course, then it will be available to all Disney Plus subscribers uh, in about three months' time. So, sometime in early December is when you'll be able to get Mulan as part of your Disney Plus package. As it is, it's Disney Plus Plus 
for anyone who wants to see it right now. And moving swiftly on to a movie that was also meant to be shown in cinemas, but then turned out not to exist. So (laughs) therefore, we're not able to talk about the New Mutants at all. Oh, no, wait, here's a twist. (gasps) It actually does exist. (laughs) What? Finally, 47 years after Josh Boone's movie was meant to come out, finally, the last of the (laughs) what what we are now obliged to call 20th Century Studios X-Men franchise (laughs) has dribbled into cinemas um, very limply. It is the New Mutants. And here's another twist upon a twist. This movie whose very existence I have been doubting for the last three years. Not only did I see it, I thought it wasn't half bad. However, Helen, was I wrong? I enjoyed this film for what it was. Yeah, I feel like you're maybe half wrong, but no more than that. It's look, I, I'll take it. That's more than usual. <laughs> or less than uh, usual. So yeah, this is an interesting one. So it takes the premise uh, that there are mutants and then does something uh, a little uh, more horror-y with it. That's mm. a technical term. Please don't look it up. It definitely exists. <laughs> Horrorizing. Um, Horrorizing, but this is—I mean—that does make sense because a lot of the mutations that we know about in the X-Men universe are could be played for body horror very, very easily. And and you know the films have sometimes very slightly flirted with that. You know, in Rogue, discovering our powers in the very first X-Men, for example, mm-hmm. but really not very much. So this film, uh, we start with uh, Danny Moonstar, who is played by Blue Hunt, um, and she is uh, woken up in the middle of the night. There is something going on. It seems to be uh, everything's going crazy uh, in the reservation where she lives. She's a uh, a young Cheyenne native. Um, And her dad, who's played by Adam Beach, you know, takes her out, hides her in the woods and then goes back to help other people. Next thing she knows, she wakes up in this hospital. She's told she's a mutant. She has some kind of powers. They're still trying to figure out what... Um, but but she's the only one left from her from her village from her family, so she's already, uh, you know, at a crossroads at a, at a in a moment of trauma, and then she meets her fellow inmates. Let's call them <laughs> yeah, new mutants. Yeah, uh, let's call them. So there's Maisie Williams, uh, who is Rain Sinclair, uh, Anya Taylor Joy as Ilyana Rasputin, who some of you may know better as Magic Colossus's sister. Mm. Colossus's sister, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie Heaton is uh, Cannonball, um, Sam Guthrie. Cannonball! Cannonball! Mm. And Henry Zaga is Bobby DaCosta, who is Sunspot. And that's basically kind of the the cast. So you've got Alice Braga as Dr. Reyes, who's the doctor in charge of the facility, and really no one else. So it's a really small contained cast. And I think the basic idea of this film, which is that it plays out as a horror with this really small group of people locked in this very kind of tense situation, is a very good one. I have issues with how, uh, some of the detail of how it plays out. I think it's got a really effective idea there. And then it does sometimes drop the ball um, because I don't think it has as much tension as it needs to have to deliver on the kind of the horror premise that it promises here. But that said, there are some effective scares along the way. There are some kind of, I don't think it's a spoiler because they're in the trailer to say that there are monster kind of things, which are pretty gross looking. The film very much wears its influences on its sleeve in terms of where the design of those monsters kind of comes from. But they are scary and there are scary moments here. And it's it's all drawn from the kind of past traumatic experiences of these mutants, which all of that I think is a good idea. I just don't think it always plays out quite as cleverly as it should have done. Um, and I don't think the atmosphere is quite as as consistently, I guess... engrossing as maybe I wanted it to be. Um, But it's by no means the disaster that you might assume it was given the delay in its release date. It's 
Yeah. It's fine, at the very least. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's fine. It's watchable, but I can't quite call it good. Um, for me, the horror elements. If if I am not scared by the horror elements, then <laughs> then you have a problem. And I really wasn't scared. Like you know, this movie has a fifteen rating. It felt like a twelve A to me all the way through. Um, so the horror elements don't really work. Then when you think about the super elements, but yeah, aside from moments where magic uses her sword, there's not really any sort of sustained sequence where the superheroing is exciting for like a sustained amount of time. So as a mm. horror film, it doesn't quite work. As a superhero film, it doesn't quite work. Then you've got the other sort of thread, which is the young adult uh, sort of genre, which they're sort of merging into this. And some of that works. I you know gave it props in my view as well, and that it centered a queer romance, which is more than... I think what any big budget super flick has done, and we do have to mm-hmm. give it props for that, even though that relationship in itself is also feels a little bit rushed. So yeah. young adult middling horror doesn't work. Superhero doesn't work. When you put all that together, it's not a satisfying film. Considering sort of what we were hearing and what we thought the film might be given uh, its delays, you know, Having it be watchable with all with everything we've heard might seem. I mean, in 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 and of itself, that is an achievement, I guess. But I was still hoping mm-hmm. for more for the final sort of uh, film in the X Men franchise, which you know mm-hmm. has had some incredible highs, but uh, ending with a back to back of Dark Phoenix and the New Mutants is a real bummer of this uh, for the franchise to sort of end this way. Yeah, it it is a bit of a, not a bang, but a whimper, really, yeah. isn't it, as a twofer? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's because it was in focus. Maybe because it wasn't <laughs> the disaster that I had expected. Maybe it's because it was coherent. I mean, there's only a yeah. couple of scenes that felt that they'd been suddenly stitched together, or I don't think there were a lot of reshoots in this film because of the fact that the cast was aging. That's the scuttlebutt anyway. Maybe it's because of that. Maybe it's because nobody gets impaled on the boom mic or, <laughs> you know, or crushed by a falling light. It all seemed vaguely professional that maybe I enjoyed this Chris, more than Chris, I had you, expected. you ask too much. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> it's positioning itself as a horror film and then is resolutely unscary. And it's taking very much its lead from, well, Buffy is one influence, but it's clearly a take on Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and I would say it lacks that movie's uh, sense of fun and inventiveness. But I'm not going to say that I hated it because I didn't hate it. I had a decent time. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of the whitewashing of Sunspot, of Roberto no. DaCosta. I'm pretty sure X-Men Days of Future Past did the, did the same thing as well with Sunspot. They did. Um, they did. They also very annoying. But, um, but yeah, yes. no, you're completely right about that. And you know, I mentioned this in my review, but Anya Taylor-Joy's character is just racist and that's never really reckoned yeah. with. And she's not and called on that. That really annoyed me. Yeah. She's called a bully at that point, but she's not called a racist bully, which would be more accurate. It's just there, which is unacceptable um, mm. for, for for right now, to be honest. So so yeah, I was a little bit disappointed, but again, I will I will say that it's watchable. And I will, with that, I will refresh my email because I'm sure a poster quote is coming through. Um, but uh, watchable, <laughs> I'm on Mormon there Empire. No but, one was yeah. killed. Chris Hewitt Empire. 
guys, you've got to stop raving like this. You're, you're just going to lose your reputation for professionalism yeah. if you keep giving these yeah. wildly enthusiastic reviews. Yeah, but I, thought, I thought everyone was fine. Everyone was fine. And, oh, yeah, uh, performances-wise. Yeah. yeah, totally yeah. fine. And I quite enjoyed Maisie Williams' Scottish accent. It was quite, very, very sweet. Well, I can't speak for our listeners, but you have all sold me on this film. I am buying my ticket now. I'm going out to see it. Actually, I'm gutted well, it, I couldn't come with you. I really want to see this. Yeah. Of course, it is in cinemas. Yes, so, it is know, in cinemas. If you are, of course, if you feel that you want to go uh, to a cinema, because again, a lot of people don't feel that way right mm. now. Totally understandable. Buy a ticket for um, New Mutants, sit there and pretend you're watching Mulan. Yes, and it made sense. It made sense. Do you know how, I've seen Tenet a couple of times. Do you know how great it is to come out of a movie and go, I actually understood some of that. It's so rare. Tenet and speaking of films sense. that I understood nothing of, uh, two stars for The New Mutants, and let's move segue smoothly into the latest Noodle Baker from Charlie Kaufman, uh, and perhaps Donald Kaufman as well. We don't know for sure. Uh, this is called I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and this is available only on Le Flix du Net, as they say in France. Oh, yeah. Mm. Amon, uh, tell us about this, this melon baker. Yeah, so this is based on a novel by Ian Reid. And while on the surface, the film's premise seems pretty basic in that it's a young woman played by Jesse Buckley, who's taking a wintry road trip with her new boyfriend, Jesse Plemons, uh, to meet his parents at his family farm. Uh, in reality, it's anything but, because once they arrive, things quickly start getting strange and sinister and weird. And I didn't know what the hell was going on when that happened, but we'll get to that. Um, this is a Netflix movie, as you say. And, you know, we've spoken about this in the past with other Netflix movies, but generally when directors work with Netflix, their impulses are unchecked. They can do whatever they want. Um, and that is both a good thing and a bad thing, depending on who you are. Um, I think if you are not a hardcore Kaufman fan, uh, as I am not, you will fight, you will struggle with this. But I will say this I appreciated the acting. I am pleased that Jesse Buckley is getting the roles that befit her, her, her immense talent because Amen. after Wild Rose, I was like, I will watch anything with that woman in. Mm -hmm. And then she was in Doolittle, where she did barely anything, <laughs> and Judy, where she did barely anything. In this movie, she at least has you know top billing and she's very, very good. I think Jesse Plemons is worthy of the 27% tag that we give to people. Mm -hmm. I think he's one of the best character actors working today. He's very good. Tony Collette, David Thewlis. I don't need to say anything. They, their you know, reputations speak for themselves. I did find some of the conversations, particularly between Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons, very interesting. But the more uh, sort of we get into this film, the weirder it gets, the storytelling is so topsy-turvy, it's just hard to get a handle on what this film is doing and what it's trying to say. Has something terrible already happened? As is something terrible going to happen? Kaufman never gives us those answers. So at the end of everything, he just left feeling cold. He just left feeling that it's just a lot of pontificating, but there's no real answers. And, you know, it's similar to what James said about She Dies Tomorrow uh, last week. And, you know, I think I put out a tweet last week after I saw this movie. I was like, in, in the recent weeks, I've seen Tenet. I've seen She Dies Tomorrow. I've seen I'm Thinking of Ending Things. I just miss movies where I understand what the hell is going on. Because <laughs> <laughs> in all those films, I'm like, what is happening? Um, so, so, yeah, I think if you're a hardcore Kaufman fan and you can get on this guy's wavelength, 
I think you'll find something to like here. Um, because of the people I know who are, um, of the, of the reactions that I've seen, um, you know, it's been very interesting conversations among those people because they have entirely different readings on what the film is about compared to other compared to other people. And those conversations that can be interesting. I can't begin to have those conversations because I don't have a freaking clue what's going on. We gave this movie Useful. three stars though. <laughs> Thanks, Amon. I, I I didn't I didn't love this. I'll be honest. I uh, my mileage on Kaufman varies at the best of times, and and this is for my money not the best of times for him. Um, but I love uh, like you. I love Jesse Plemons. Usually, I I didn't love him here, and I love um, Jesse Buckley all the time. I think she's great. Uh, mm-hmm. I just would have liked a bit more sense. Just just a modicum of extra sense would have made so much difference mm-hmm. to this film and and a little tiny bit less pontificating in in low monotones um i think so is, is, is a generally really <laughs> is a generally really good yeah, um, yeah, approach to films thanks chris for proving my point <laughs> so yeah i just I, I couldn't get on with it i'm sorry yeah well, actually though, it's, thought... it's not it, it's me it, it might also be it yeah, I no, I I, I fully good. admit that again. If uh, I'm not a hardcore Charlie Kaufman guy, I think if you are, yeah, you'll be can... having an entirely different reaction to this yeah, film. Um, but really you know, I <laughs> make it stop, <laughs> Chris. No, please. <laughs> I need just Being a little Michael bit Fish more help good, yeah. when it comes to plot and stuff like that. And Kaufman uh, was not willing to give me that with this film. Yeah, and like I can deal with no plot if there's interesting stuff happening you know i'd be like okay i don't know what's going on but i'm having a nice time like the first time i watched tenet it's like i have no idea what's happening but this is kind of fun um so instead of like really slick suits you get basically people around a, a table having an interminable conversation i mean in fairness the roast ham looked really good it so did, there's it that over, uh, a little it bit overglazed over, to me a little bit overglazed a little bit unctuous and that's the correct use of that word it is john to road i don't even start on that again um, Please don't. i don't know i i think i enjoyed this more than you guys um maybe it's because charlie and i are in the same wavelength i don't know i just um but i it's it's a it's a noodle twister i don't understand it but i enjoyed it and i respect its right to exist and mm-hmm. the cast is brilliant jesse buckley is fantastic there's a good argument to be made that she's the best actor on the planet right now mm-hmm. she's wonderful and listen when life gives you plemons make plemonade that that's mean, all i have Chris? to say to that that's all I have to say to that. And uh, good cast. And the last the last third, I think it's the most... I didn't get on at all with Synecdoche, New York, but I love his work as a screenwriter. And I think this is uh, more ambitious visually. The last third or so really goes to some interesting places mm. visually. Um, and I, I enjoyed that, I have to say. Um, and it's on Netflix, so it's something that I can revisit uh, down the line and hopefully get to grips with a little bit more. We gave this one three stars, which as we always say, of course is a recommendation. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by... I think Ewan McGregor. I think. Mm. Well, I know I'm interviewing him in 10 minutes, so I've got to wrap this up, but uh, I'm not sure whether it's for next week's episode or the week after. But uh, Ewan McGregor, he's back with another series of uh, his motorcycle tourism trippy thing with his best friend Charlie Borman so this is Long Way Up uh, it's a sequel to Long Way Round and Long Way Long Way Down as well so that's very very exciting and there may be another guest as well that I've forgotten about but until then until we meet again until that auspicious occasion it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara Toodaloo hopefully I'll have finished this jigsaw by next week not a chance <laughs> no probably not uh, it is goodbye from Amon Warman Chad forever peace 
Oh, man. And it's goodbye from James Dyer. Bye. And it is goodbye from me. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.